Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. My name is Eric, and with me are... I'm Chad from Fear the Boot. Oh, and it's Nick with the mute. Nick's oh. muted! Oh, 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 oh. I have to do that, sorry. And yeah, this is Nick from Mythos Busters. All right, uh, this episode we are talking about dramatic challenges. To me, dramatic challenges, uh, it, it really is fundamentally about tension, and it's about pacing and momentum. Uh, you know, it, you... You just can't like open the scene with a new game that nobody's ever played before. And, you know, it is cranked to a hundred, like you're dead. Okay. Now we're starting. And it, there does have to be a little bit of, of ramp up to it. Even if you start something in media res, and I, I love starting games in media res in the middle of action. Um, but you, if you start something, a game, a, a session, anything, at maximum tension, you have nowhere to go after that. So sure. even if you're starting in the middle of a gunfight or a car chase or some dramatic role play moment, you, you have to give yourself room to go up, to, to build up to that tension. Uh, another important part is that with tension, you just can't keep it there all the time you, you can't have right. a car chase like you have a six hour session and you have a five hour and 45 minute long car chase it it just the the tension becomes meaningless there's this concept in horror movies or monster movies where you know you don't show the monster at the beginning you, you might show a claw or you might show a shadow or something like that and you, you kind of pepper it through uh you, you don't show the monster till the till the middle end of it and that's not because they think, oh, people are going to, like, leave the theater once they see the monster because that's all they're there for. It's a matter of the monster is supposed to be monstrous. But if the monster is there with you all the time, it's no longer a monster. It's your buddy. You know, sure. it, it's someone you're used to and you're, you're interacting with all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I think that uh, what, what you said about, uh, you know, with nowhere to go, that's super important. And I think that when you when you start out um, a scene, especially in, like you said in media rest, uh, it, it's it's so easy to just kind of dump everything and go. This is what we, you know, this is what you're encountering. So mm -hmm. you know, I think it's a it's a natural tendency to try and just you know shoot your wad at the beginning and go like you know this is this is what we're doing. This is what you're facing, um, as opposed to kind of eking things out a little bit at a time. Yeah, upbeats and downbeats are really important for storytelling in general, not just role-playing games. Um, I actually started, a, it was a one-shot, so there's a little bit more leeway there, but I actually started a one-shot with a boss fight once. Um, and I knew, at least I knew going into that, like, okay, there's, it's going to begin with a boss fight, but I'm going to also want to end with a boss fight, and I'm going to want that to be even more dramatic to it. Um, but as for dramatic challenges in general, uh, I'm currently running for my my seasonal IRL group. Uh, I'm running them through Ghosts of Saltmarsh for D&D 5th Edition. And we just finished uh, Salvage Operation, which was written by Mike Merles in the early 2000s, uh, but then they updated it for 5th Edition. But that ends with the group on board this derelict uh, pirate ship having to grab this super heavy lockbox and get it off the ship while it's being attacked by a Kraken. 
Um, so spoiler alert for salvage operation, I guess. But, <laughs> right. but yeah, so the ship is going down and how that did, it's not how I normally do dramatic challenges, but it, it handled it because it was more of like an extended dramatic challenge. It basically gave you 20 rounds of action. Um, and it said, um, even though there's no combat necessarily, the players are still acting on initiative um, because there are other things happening each round on certain initiative numbers that can affect that. So if a player's going before that or after that, that sort of thing. Um, so that, that was really fun. Again, it, like I said, it's not how I normally do it, where it's like broken down round by round. This happens and this happens and this happens. Uh, but because it was a 20 round thing and not like a three or five round dramatic action, it actually made sense. So mm. now, did the players know that they, were, they had 20 rounds? So was it a, like a, a, a ticking you know, clock or anything like that in there? They knew it was a ticking clock because this, the ship was sinking and every round, like it would either list a little more to port or there'd be more rooms filling with water. So they knew that they had a time limit, but they didn't know what the time limit was. And I didn't, I didn't reveal any of that until after we were wrapping the session at the end. And I was like, yeah, so if you guys had waited like two more rounds, you just would have went down with the ship, like that sort of thing. So, and I thought when I was reading it that 20 rounds was going to be a really long time because I'm thinking in combat terms, like, wow, that would take forever. But no, it was perfect. Like they made it right up to the line and then ended up getting out just by the skin of their teeth. So <laughs> that's neat. Hmm. Yeah, like like one of the games I made, it, the, the whole point of it is that it is a four hour long game. Like, the, you know, you're on a ship, ship's going to blow up. Everybody knows the ship's going to blow up. They don't know why or how, but they have to stop it. Or, well, I mean, they should try to stop it. Mm. Uh, so, so what I do is, in the rules, I say, you know, get a timer like your phone, set it for a four-hour time limit, and put it in front of them. You know, mm. it's just like, this is ticking down. And when I run it, I, I tell them, it's like, okay, when I hit go, We've got four hours. So when this counts down, the ship blows up. If you guys want to bicker, fight, if you want to, you know, over plan, do all, all that sort of thing, that's fine. Hmm. None of my characters are going to blow up. <laughs> it's all your characters. <laughs> so you take all the time you need. And that immediately puts a lot of tension on the, on the scene. And, and that tension creates drama because hmm. it, it is it just you know creates this static where you know somebody wants to do something another person wants to do something different and when they're role playing back and forth you know when there isn't that sort of tension there isn't a whole lot of there, there's it's conversational or maybe right. our characters have differences and that creates the tension but when there's a, a sort of timer to it then the people are like I don't have time to be nice. I don't have time to argue. You know, sure. we, we are going to do this. And then it's like trying to convince people to do things on the fly it makes it really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I think that, um, um, I don't know. It, it just seems like that later or lately games have been a little bit more conscious of this. I mean, think about the old school, right? Um, you really didn't care about dramatic challenges. I mean, there were skill <laughs> challenges and things like right. that. Uh, but, you know, with your, your old school dungeon crawls and even, um, even later than, than that, you know, you're, you're not really that concerned about uh, this level of storytelling. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think? When was the turn? Do you know, you know, uh, in your experience, what do you think that uh, kind of kicked this, this level of thinking in, in like game design or adventure design? 
Um, the first time that I noticed it, and granted, I'm still I'm pretty new to the hobby overall. I haven't been playing it for decades, but was D and D fourth edition going into fourth from third. Uh, and I still love this. Like I'm, I'm on record as as actively <laughs> liking Fourth Edition, so I know that already kind of sets me apart. But um, they had a subsystem in Fourth Edition called Skill Challenges that I still use in Fifth Edition. It's just I think it's genius. Um, and the whole idea is that the players, uh, like it's not a combat. It's it's everybody takes a turn telling what they're going to do, and then the GM or the DM determines what the skill roll is going to be. And they just have to get X number of successes before they get three failures. And if it's an easy skill challenge, they may only need four successes. If it's a difficult one, they may need eight or ten. Uh, but the trick is everybody has to test. Like, you have to split the tests up as evenly as possible between the PCs, which is great. So you don't have one character that's just owning the scene. Right. Um, and each PC can only test a skill once so once you do like i'm really good at athletics so i'm gonna do my athletics test all right i succeeded now i can't do athletics anymore so now they have to think about how else to incorporate that and there's some other little nuanced rules to it but i mean that's the gist of it and i i absolutely love skill challenges that was the first time i was really um at least that was the first time it was implemented in a way that i really enjoyed i should put it that way yeah i think that it, a lot of it boils down to just turning the screws on your players so like, like something you had said about, about that edition of D&D, I forget which one you said, um, about fourth. how you can, fourth, about how mm-hmm. you, you use that, a, a skill check, but you can only do it once. So if you're really, really good at it, maybe you need to save it and not use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all comes down to limiting resources or essentially not letting the players do God mode within the framework of their characters. You know, it's not having unlimited ammunition, not having unlimited health, putting stuff like, you know, death on the table, your resources, you have one character and they have one life. Uh, It it isn't just a, oh, well, the dragon ate us and uh, once he poops me out, we'll just res me, right guys? I mean, there's gotta be a diamond in there somewhere. You know, when you start putting consequence to actions it it isn't really just about limiting the resources it's about the consequences that come from limiting those resources you can only use skill check once you only have so much time you only have so much political capital that you can ask favors of in just pure role-playing moments you you can do something here but you'll anger this other person here Mm. the nuts and bolts of it is just about resource management for the players which in and of itself is not the tension it's the consequence of running those different tanks dry and what will happen as a result of that and it comes down to a lot of a lot of like player choice so the it it, instead of the game master saying okay we're going to go on this on the rails in my story and the those rails will take you to the king and you know that past the king on the rails of the story, you have to save the princess, but that, but the king doesn't like his princess. So that's going to be the dramatic tension Hmm. in a role playing in a book. That's great. In a movie, that's great. In a video game, that's fine. But in a role playing game, the tension comes in with the players making the choice. So they go to the king and they're like, Oh yeah, you don't like your princess. We're kind of going to save her. And then they could think, do we want to? Is the king a better ally? Maybe the princess is not worth saving here. Maybe she's evil in some way. Maybe the king is evil. We don't know. So now there's tension and there's choice and there's going to be consequence from that. The, the thing about putting it on the rails 
when you take their choice away, when you take their resources away, and just let they, they just do that, they just press the button to open the next gate to go into the next plot point, the choices don't make a difference. There's no tension. What happens is going to happen. They could still have fun. Everybody can still ha be having fun. It's just that it, there isn't that excitement to it. There isn't that, that interestingness to it that, that really makes games come alive, that they can make a wrong choice and they will have to suffer for it. And I'm not one of those kinds of game masters that, that kill characters. or it, it, Because to me, killing characters as a form of tension so let's, let's go back to you have a limited amount of resources. You have a limited amount of hit points, and you have one character, and they can't be rest. Okay, so that's your resources, and that makes it tense. Do I want to charge this dragon or not to save the princess? Hell no. Okay, that speaks to my character. That is a role-playing thing. That's tension story, role-playing great. My God, it's so easy. It, it, it is so easy for a game master just to say the only tension challenge I'm doing is your character dies. <sighs> you know... Yeah, that's fine and stuff, but there's there's other out of game stuff that goes along with that tension too. They have to make a new character. Maybe they're not as into the second character. You have to incorporate them in whatever. But you know there are other ways to make scenes tense and dramatic and interesting that don't necessarily rely on death. So sure, right. I, it's interesting that because you're talking about that and you and you had mentioned God mode before, mm -hmm. and I'm of the opinion that um, there are games, uh, I would say more recent games that incorporate a uh, mechanic. Usually, it's some sort of a resource mechanic, um, like meta resource mechanic that uh, allows for a God mode, and I think can potentially squash tension or uh, drama, high drama within the game. Um, and that's like using things like plot points or <laughs> story points, because I mean, mm. think about it. And, and it depends on how liberal the, the, the game master is with the, the interpretation of the rules of these. So uh, let's say in uh, a game that I love uh, called Rocket Age, right? Rocket Age uses a, a story point based uh, economy where you can spend, you know, you spend one uh, story point and you can have a minor effect on what's going on narratively but you could spend multiple points in our skies of glass game uh, dan uses bullets to represent re-rolls and also certain things you can spend multiple ones of those but he also has this bust of <laughs> beethoven that he uses that essentially is the god mode of the game and he he rarely gives that out or he gives it the option to to you know, do you want a, a bullet or a Beethoven at the beginning of the game before ever does the, the, the recap for the players and for the listener. Mm. Um, and I think that it, in, in that case, in, in the skies of glass case, um, it's a one shot use, but mm. other games where you can have um, uh, uh, shadow run anarchy is this way with their plot points. You could spend a plot point to affect the plot. And then it's, I, as a game master, I've got this idea for a staged chase scene. And then somebody drops a plot point. And, okay, they blow their tire. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I mean, and, and in a way, you don't want to rob the players of their, you know, 
their agency when it comes to, especially within the confines of the actual rules themselves. Sure. It's kind of a dick move to go, well, you, you spent that, but it didn't work or, you know, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah, well, I would, I would agree that I think spending it, if the player spends it and says this happens and it, and it, um, cuts the scene short by like 80% or something like a car chase with a flat tire. Um, I think as the GM, I mean, you're, you're in charge of the pacing and the tension, uh, to a pretty good degree. So I think you could go, well, um, I like that. That's inventive and that's smart, but I'm going to say, no, you can keep that plot point. We're going to, you can find a different way to use it. That isn't going to cut this scene short. And I guess that depends on the relationship you have with your players and kind of the tone of the campaign overall, but I'm very pro like open communication with my players. And so if one of my players did that, I would probably be like, why did you save that? Let's do this because maybe we have a character that, you know, his whole kit is based around like driving and we haven't had a chance to use that yet. You know, that sort of thing. So I think, I think the, the GM has that ability to do that. And also it shouldn't be held against him if they do that. You know what I mean? By the players, like the players should be understanding as to that. So I like how fate handles that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, you know, where it's an economy in, in the system, you, you have fate points. So let's say you're getting chased. Now, I don't think in fate you can do anything that as reality breaking as, Oh, here's a chip. Their tires blow off for no reason. Right. Um, it, it, it's a little more scaled down than that, but it, they still have, you know, reality altering properties to the fate chips and whatnot, but they're tied in with your character. I mean, it's how you make your character. You have to, you just can't say, well, this happens. You have to tap an aspect. It's like mm-hmm. an aspect is like some pithy saying or something that you made right. during character creation of, uh, you know, say you're the context person in shadow run, you're the fixer. I think it's called, right. uh, if you were playing fate shadow run, you, your fixer would be like, okay, well, uh, I know a guy. Right. And what's cool about it is that you write a little story on what does that mean? You know, a guy and it's like, Oh, well, I spent some time in prison. I got all these context stuff and it, it kind of fleshed out the character and you just can't have that you just can't say okay well i'm gonna roll this to see if we can do something you have to like tap your fate point you have to you have to spin your fate point give it to the game master Hmm. which gives the game master a fate point so the the game master can then use that fate point against you yeah on his npcs and also your 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 aspects go both ways so they can be used against you as well and it's like you're walking down the street i'm incognito nobody knows where i am i got my hat my sunglass stuff and the game master is like yeah but you know a guy in fact you know everybody and then he pays you a fate (laughs) chip and you know and it's like well you can buy it off that sort of thing so i like that but but it makes it a resource right it, it mm. makes it just something that that it's just like by the end of the game i'm sitting here man i've i'm the fate point guy right that's my thing is like i only took one ability and i've i'm human i got all these fate chips because i'm playing dresden files i have all these uh fate chips and so i'm the guy who you know taps stuff to make things happen to to make aspects on the scene to do all this and it's really low and i haven't really done anything to get them back Hmm. You know, and then it's just like, okay, well, that's going to affect my choices and that's going to make it at least tense for me, which, which actually makes me think here. Let me ask you guys a question. So we're talking about drama. We're talking about dramatic situations. We're talking about tension and pacing and all this good stuff. When we 
when we're talking about, we're talking about it group wide, you know, like the car chase, for instance, I shoot out his tires or his tires explode or whatever. And that's the whole, we got a whole van full of bank robbers and we're trying to get away and they're, and they're chasing us. Hmm. How do you do that for a single character? If we're not talking about a situation where it's like the group is trying to get away and we're in a car and you know, the, the tire blows up or whatever. Can you make things dramatic and tense and stuff for character when they're with everybody? And I'm not, because obviously the answer is, oh, we'll just separate them and have their nemesis come out of the closet and, you know, start yelling at them. How do you make tension for a single character? And why you, would you want to do that? Okay. I was to say, are you talking mechanically or are you talking like narratively? Either way. Okay. Because I think mechanically, I think the whole thing to that would um, kind of start you down the right path would be the idea that they don't have infinite time. Um, and that's kind of the whole point of rolling. Like if the players had infinite time to do certain tasks, then you wouldn't require a roll from them, right? You'd just say, all right, eventually you get it. Um, so I think to keep things dramatic for just a single character, and I guess my mind goes to like, if you're in combat, but one character has an objective that they have to fulfill that doesn't require like combat maneuvers. It's literally just like, for instance, um, they have to hack a terminal while everyone else is holding off guards or something like that. Um, I would just say, okay, you have three rounds to do this and each test you make, uh, or rather like you have three tests to do this and each test, you know, like if you fail three times, you're done. Um, and if you have like five rounds total, so I'd give them their parameters, like you have this long and you can do this many attempts. So then it's up to you to determine how do I maximize my attempts? Do I just roll the die three times and hope it comes out great? Or is there something I can do that could set myself up, give me advantage for something or give me a bonus or, um, so I think that's what I would do is just basically give them, I would capitalize on that time limit would be the first thing. Um, and then narratively, that one I'm having a little harder time because I'm trying to come up with why if he's still part of the group, like if he's still there with them, I'm trying to come up with something that would, that would lead to that, but I'm having trouble. So what I did in one of my games is uh, D and D fifth edition game. Mm. And uh, everybody had, they, there was a lot of NPCs. It, it was a large ensemble cast. I usually don't take <laughs> notes. This game changed my entire attitude on note taking because there were so, <laughs> So many characters, nobody could keep track of them. Uh, so I, I had to start taking notes and not just this guy's name is this. It's like this guy's name is this, whose parents is this, whose background is this, whose this story is this. And then there's a deep conspiracy that they're attached to. to the, and it's sure. like, But there was a character and uh, it basically they had parents that they loved, but they didn't really understand that their parents were the bad guys. Uh, and there was a character who came in who was an undead, uh, one of the intelligent undead, and it was a, a vengeance spirit, essentially, uh, who was going to go and kill the character's parents, uh, and righteously so, but unbeknownst to the, to the cast here, what, why that was. The thing is that the is a very low level game and the the entity the monster was exceedingly powerful not untouchable hmm. but whole oh baby this was going to be a fight if they choose to to draw down on it uh and they knew it and in fact they they kind of built it up in their mind a little bit bigger than what i had it for but <laughs> that was fine 
what was cool about that though, because it was so powerful and because there was, uh, they knew that if they got into a fight, there would be real consequences, you know, to this would be a very, very hard fight. Yeah. They talked to him and the guy was able to tell his story, which affect, and the thing about it is that it was, he wanted to kill the character the 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 character whose parents were evil Mm. he he wanted to do it because it would hurt her parents and then he can go and get them because he was just i mean it wasn't justice right this was revenge this was slow evil painful revenge this guy was on um and he was very open about that there was a situation basically he couldn't he had a master who said, no, you're not going to do that, whatever. So he, he just couldn't kill her. So, and they knew that. So they talked to him. The thing is, the party did, was realized real quick that her parents were the bad guys. Hmm. She, being a great role player, it took time for her to come, for her character to come around to this idea. And even then, it's still her folks. Sure. And the guy would talk to her, right? Like, like others would question her, but it's like, you know, have you ever been in a, in a party or a room where there's a whole bunch of people and you're involved in a conversation, but two people are talking to each other and everybody's just kind of listening. It, it, it was that kind of back and forth sort right. of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a group sort of thing going on, but it really just had to do with the one character. And it had to do with her parents and her realization that it's not mommy and daddy. It's the spy masters and assassin masters for a kingdom. And they do bad things. And how she kind of has to come to terms with that. It, it did involve the other characters, but they were supportive. We're here for you. How do you want to handle this? This is what I think we should do. It's your call. It's your parents, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, okay. and, and as the game went on and on and on, it culminated into a confrontation with that revenge spirit, where the revenge spirit was basically like, I will make you a deal. I'm, I'm here to kill them. Everything they're doing, you know, is bad. And they're doing stuff right now. They need to be stopped. You don't disagree with me on that. I will stop them. You just have to stand aside. You and I, we're done. I will, because she, her character was afraid of this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was like terrorized by this guy because he was so horrible. He's like, you and I are done. We'll never see each other again. Just let me walk by and I will take care of your, I will take care of this situation. And she's like, no. I will not stand aside. And then the entire group stood up around her and it was neat. It was really, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it just focused on that one character, even though the others were kind of involved. Yeah. You really got to have like players have to buy in to that level of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and you know, to address some of the stuff going on in chat, uh, Gage keeps yelling, uh, Ant- Savage Ma- World, Savage World, Savage is that what he's Savage yelling? Worlds and, well, between the Savage Worlds talk, uh, he's bringing <laughs> up the Aunt May 
uh, which, uh, and then um, I, I, I agree with that too, is, you know, you, it, if you focus on one character's, you know, um, maybe they're dependent or something like that, uh, the, you gotta, the other players have to care about that stuff or at yeah. least have the moral, uh, you know, strength to say, you know what, what's going on with them uh, with sure. that is wrong. Um, and I, one of my favorite things to do is to put the group at odds with levels of that level of stuff. So, yeah. And because of the, the groups that I tend to run with um, you have differing perspectives and different moralities and things like that. Um, you know, I, I run a game where um, it's very, very obvious that a, person an npc is not what they seem and that they are very likely super dangerous but they are in the guise of a little girl hmm. and oh those are the worst man you never trust old men and little girls and right, always the worst right and so then you have half the group going this is some akira level shit we don't want to deal with this this is bad <laughs> and the other half of the group is going no no this is a little girl you know, we need to, you know, protect her. Um, so I, those are the, the types of things I like to do is find what pushes the buttons of one of mm. your players and know that if somebody is super, not, not, not trying to be mean, but just, you know, I know this person has a tendency to be, you know, uh, you've always got that one player or, you know, player or player character who wants to adopt the world right it's like every npc <laughs> they want to adopt them and they want to you know and it doesn't they don't have to be children it's just like oh this npc yeah. interesting let's keep them close to me mm -hmm. um i absolutely love those players because they give me so <laughs> many so much ammunition to work with yep. um that you do you end up ant maying them and the other players get sucked into it if you make it a compelling enough you know situation um well, they, you don't even have to make it a compelling situation. They yeah. do it for you. Right. <laughs> you know, right. and they have the moral high ground. Right. And they give you that. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and if the players are giving you that level of drama, you, you just let them run with it. You never, I, I, I never want to stop a, a group of players when they come up with a, a wacky plan or, you know, oh, this so-and-so is, has got to be the bad guy. Oh, you know, well, maybe they weren't the bad guy, but now I'm thinking, well, maybe they should be the bad. <laughs> what would it look like if they were? Yeah, right, exactly. And that's the, that's the beauty of the games that we play. I mean, um, you know, Nick, you're an author, you write, you, you, you have complete control over your characters. You have complete mm -hmm. control over the plot. And that's, you know, th that's a whole level of, of creativity. And the beauty of these games is you can still do some of these things, but then people will throw these little curveballs at you and you go, yeah. I never once thought of that. Yeah. Um, you know, then going back to the, uh, the, using the, the resource to blow the tire, um, and, you know, especially I, I, I love to use that level of stuff with superhero games because they're supposed to be heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they pay the they're going to do the chase. I'm going to pay the resource, blow the tire. OK, the tire is blown and now they're careening into a school. <laughs> right. uh, you know, or something like that. It's, it's yeah. you 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 don't get rid of that tension or that drama. You just redirect it. Right. Yeah. And that's a fine line to, to, to walk too, though, yeah. because, you know, like in the example, yeah, you have their superheroes, they use their laser vision, they blow the tire, they spend the resources to do it. And their intention is that they're going to stop the vehicle. 
and they go careening off into the school. Well, that, that does a lot of tension, but it really depends on your group. Because as a player, I'm thinking, wow, that's really neat. Oh, man, he really, you know, switched it up. I have gamed with other players where, who would say, you just robbed me. Yeah. <laughs> I built my character, took disadvantages, got this resource, Benny. I spent it to get something, and now you've baited, bait and switched me. It's just like, I, I wanted them to stop. That's what I said. Now you're killing children. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but I, you, yeah, I don't agree with that. I mean, it, to, to me, it's like you're not – too many players try to get advantage, and I get why. I mean, I've been a player, but they try to get advantage. And it's like, let, let's take this scene, right? You know, we're superheroes. We're chasing this car. We hit it with our – we spin our Benny to make the tire blow. It stops is an okay story. The tire right. blows and it goes careening into an orphanage. What do you do is a more interesting story. You didn't pay the Benny to get the advantage to get them to stop so you can beat them up and get your picture in the paper. You spent the Benny to m make opportunity for good story, for interesting story. Right. I find that people who have game mastered in the past – get that or they're more willing sure. to get that mm -hmm. and the people who haven't don't or tend not to so. right they yeah a lot of uh, like why are you doing this to me or the you know <laughs> uh, you, you're yeah like that you said you know, before the bait and mm -hmm. switch or you know oh it's uh, the you i shoot out the tire but it's a doom bot in there it's not really <laughs> you know that that level of stuff um Probably. i do have to point out that uh uh, Gage uh, redeemed some uh, chat points to seize initiative. Uh, what that means is you redeem your chat points and your question is uh, uh, takes precedence over everything else. So uh, his question was, uh, if you have set the stakes for a dramatic challenge and one player just doesn't seem into it and they fail badly, how do you handle it? Do they die? Do they cause the group to fail? So... Well, I think uh, I, that's a tough one uh, because obviously verisimilitude and consistency are huge. And I think that that is what you have to err on as the GM. I think that the player showing up to the table to play is them saying, I will be invested in what we do tonight. Um, and whether or not they have say in that, like how level, how interested or how invested they are as far as like, I'm going to try and help direct the story or help direct the action as a player, or I'm going to take more of a passive role, like then that's on them, but they came to play. And if that's the direction that this goes, unfortunately, even if they're not into it, they're part of that. Um, so I think if it gets, I feel like that's already passing so many fail points. You know what I mean? Like there's so many checkpoints that they could hit to try and steer things away that if they get to that spot where it's a dramatic challenge, they fail. And now you have to worry about, well, I'm going to, do I give them a bad time in order to keep the world consistent? I may be a bad DM, but I would because I think consistency is the most important job for a dungeon master or a game master is to maintain the consistency of their world are of the world yeah the setting that everybody's playing in and if like you know they're fighting to save uh, a train load of people and this one player fails and then it's like that's going to have some big consequences uh you might be able to find a way to soften the blow a little bit but you don't want to do so too much to make it 
transparent that you're softening the blow. Right. Because again, if you're destroying that verisimilitude, then you're reminding everybody that we're just sitting around a table rolling dice. And then it's like, why not just play Descent or, you know, mm-hmm. something. So. so I was reading the chat when you uh, said the question and I didn't quite get it. so what was the question i think i got it from gage's answer or uh nick's answer but i want to hear what gage's question is right so uh what he's asking is if uh if you set it set the stakes right you set Mm -hmm. the stakes for the dramatic challenge and um uh, one of the players just either doesn't seem into it um i think um or the bigger thing is they fail they you know they, they're just not maybe they're not uh, using all of their resources and they're just like piss on this i don't want to do it and they just kind of like meh and roll and they they botch it do you punish them by having them die or whatever or do or it's let's say it's one of those things where it's a cascading uh situation where uh like what nick was saying earlier you know you're doing a skill challenge and everybody has to pull their weight to get this skill challenge done and uh, you know, Billy doesn't give a damn. He's been on his phone and he rolls a one and just doesn't care. Um, do you punish the rest of the group by failing the challenge? Or do you, do you, what do you do in those cases? You never punish, ever. Uh, punish should not be in your vocabulary as a game master. Now, I, I definitely advocate consequence, being hard on players, uh, being un- I advocate cheating, as a game master, I advocate being it's unfair. It's not cheating if you're a game master. <laughs> just going to say that. It's not cheating. Exactly. It's called telling a story. Stephen yeah. King cheats when he writes his books, and he sells millions. So, you know, if we could do a whole episode on why I think every single game master cheats, even the ones that say they don't, because they don't understand what cheating is. But that aside, we don't punish. We never, ever punish. We are adults. I cannot look across the table at a 30-year-old man and punish them. It is, that's not what you, you punish a four-year-old. I don't even punish my 13-year-old. We have a conversation. We find out what's wrong. We come together as a solution because I'm trying to teach him that that's how you do things. You, you just don't fall on like a ton of bricks. I mean, you do that when they're four because they're kids. Never, ever punish a player. Never punish a group. If a player is on their phone, if they're checked out, if something is happening like that, if they're not doing what you need them to do, what you want them to do, what society thinks they should be doing, like paying attention and engaging in the game, what is the problem here? They aren't getting something out of this. So there's a solution. You know, you need to have a conversation. Hey, I saw you checked out here. It's no problem. What, what's going on? You know, I mean, I wouldn't even say the conversation is that direct, but basically what is happening is they want something out of the game and they're not getting it. Yeah. You don't know what that is. You need to find out what that is and you don't necessarily need to deliver it because what they might be looking for in the game is not what you're serving up. I mean, it's like, it might be like going to a restaurant, you go to a seafood restaurant and you order the spaghetti and it's like, it's going to be the worst spaghetti ever. Because your seafood restaurant, they came to the wrong game. They came to the wrong place. So, you know, it, it is, we are adults. We work it out, that sort of thing. And you know what? I've had that conversation with people where they've looked checked out and they look at me and like, no, this is awesome. I love it. They're just not in that mode 
in that moment to engage like that. And sometimes they, I've had others tell me, it's like, you know, Chad, you run these kind of touchy-feely games, and I, I just kind of want to roll some dice and kick some ass. And I'm like, we can do that. I can, I can work with that. Um, you know, I, I, kind of on the same point, though, too, I've had players who their thing that they need from me is for them not to fail. I, I, I've had a lot of like engineers at my table before, and I find this is kind of That's common. Scary. In, with, I've had, I find this kind of common with engineers, especially mm. because they're math guys and I'm not, and so they kind of trounce me on the rules. But they, uh, to them, the world is problems that are solvable. Right. And so when they approach a challenge, their mind starts drawing the lines, right? And it's just like, and then they solve the equation where, okay, I can do this and this and spin this point and be this kind of in character and do this thing in character. And the, 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 the problem is solved. And I can show my work that it is solved. And then I look at them and I say, no, you failed. And the reason I'm saying they, they failed is because this is going to sound pretentious as fuck, by the way. The reason I say they failed is because I'm an artist. You know, it's just like I am, I am presenting this art, this story, this feeling. It, it's sort of the universe. And it's like flowing from them to me and back and forth. And it's this sort of thing, right? But to them, it's a machine. The universe is a machine. And machines operate a certain way. And, that, and I've had clashes with that before. Um, and really the solution to that I have found is to shave a little bit off both ends of the problem. What I mean by that is you still have them fail. You just don't have them fail as much. We're going to go back to that game masters cheat thing. You cheat to have them succeed a little bit more, but they still fail because on the other end that you're shaving off of the problem is you are training them. You're training them that failure is temporary and it provides rewards. You make the problem that they don't like, the failure that they don't like, part of the solution for them. So when you fail it puts the spotlight on you. Like you go in, you're going to do something illegal and you got it all planned out and you do it. And I tell you, the cops show up and arrest you immediately turn that around, put the spotlight on them that the cop who shows up is their rival and that they can tell them off at last. And finally the guys come out of hiding and you turn it into a sort of, not a fearic victory, but a sort of success to where they get something out of it. You have to make it immediate, though, for those kinds of people. Math problems don't solve themselves five years after you're done. They solve themselves immediately when you finish. So that's how I kind of deal with that. And I, I think that the kind of can, can help in other things, because that, that's my, I've ran for multiple, like three, four, five different engineers in my time. That's kind of how I've come to it. But yeah, I, I think that that is, that is how you kind of can engage with that problem. Yeah. I think um, when, yeah, when they're looking at everything is an equation, 
that would be, mm-hmm. I can see where that would be really challenging. As for my answer to, to Gage's question, um, I used to have this rule um, that if, I, if, if you farted at my table, <laughs> um, I'm not going to kill your character. I'm going to kill the, char- the, the player character to your left. Um, <laughs> and I started to implement that in, in attention too. And I, I learned over the course of many years that um, it really doesn't solve anything. Right. Um, all it really does, because I'm a big proponent of, you know, uh, peers policing themselves, uh, especially when I'm running, because traditionally I had run games for eight and nine players. So mm. I don't have the time. If, if somebody's checked out, I'm just not going to focus on them. And then if you're so checked out that I say it's your turn and you don't hear me, then I skip your turn. Um, Because when you have a table that big, sometimes you just have to, you know, you just have to let some things go. Um, But if it's, if things are are hinging on that person, it's like, okay, it's, uh, it's your turn. What are you going to do? Okay. Well, let's start flipping through to find the spell that they want to cast. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, you've been sitting there for, for. Hopefully, they cast gust of wind to get the fart out of there. But exactly, exactly right. <laughs> they already uh, cast fart of wind or gust, yeah. gust of wind. <laughs> this, that rule actually started when I was in the military because you would uh, uh, you would have guys who would just just relentlessly shit their pants all the time. Uh, <laughs> so that and and be proud. Relentless. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was brutal, and so. Uh, <laughs> You know, and, and the other part of it is we would, a lot of times we were playing in my room. So those fuckers would be sitting on <laughs> my bed. Or I built, right. So yeah, the, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, capital punishment for uh, <laughs> doing that. Um, so anyway, I would just, you know, I would really come down hard. And like you were saying, Jed, I would punish them and I would punish these adults for, you know, failure and things like that. And I started to see, the how that uh, how that uh, affected them on a very like fundamental level where they would Mm. be afraid to do things right Mm. because it's like oh i i I, if i fail then i could totally screw the party so i'm not going to step up and do this and i'm not going to do that well i i i think getting back to gage's question i think that we might be missing the forest for the trees um i think it was more about i could be wrong um because i didn't read the question but uh if you have one player that isn't invest they may be invested in the game overall but for whatever reason they don't like the specific challenge that everyone else is into and then they end up failing a role and that ends up potentially leading to catastrophic failure for the party as a whole how do you handle that as a dm do you do you inflict that failure upon the party do you focus it on the character do you softball it because this guy wasn't into it anyway and he's not having fun doing this anyway so i don't want to make him feel worse like i think I think that might be more about where that question was going. Well, so let's let's take this back to the to the early example that I, I gave of how do you create drama and tension for a single person, right? So you are you're doing that. You're creating this drama, you're doing all this work, and the party is there and they're involved. Now imagine that you got that. You you have that simpatico. You you have that tension, and it's so good. And the party is there, and they they're supportive. It's not like they're just binged and bored. And you have that one person who just really isn't into it for whatever reason. Who knows? And they just fart a roll. I mean, it's not even like they rolled and did what they supposed to. It's more like you know what? Fuck it. 
I just jump out the window because I don't give a shit. Right. And it's like, okay, roll your athletics. Oh, you got a one. Oh, you break your leg. Well, guess what happens? That, that really good story that you had going on, that scene, the tension with the group, with the player, with the NPC has now stopped. And it's all about the asshole's broken ankle. And that's not an interesting story. So, you know, what do you, the, I guess the question is, you know, what do you do about that? Do you let them go? Do you focus on them? Do you just kind of fudge the rules? I mean, like I said, I cheat like a motherfucker. So, you know, they, I, if I can read the tea leaves and I see that they are not engaged and I'm trying to do something that has nothing to do with them or only very tangentially do with them, they shouldn't be making roles. They, they really shouldn't, you know, as long as they're not trying to sabotage the situation, you know, yeah, just, just kind of like ghost them a little bit. It's not their scene anyway. Right. Regroup later and try and figure out what they want. Um, it, yeah. it could be that, you know, um, uh, reading a little bit deeper into this, let's put it into a shadow run perspective. You know, the team wants to do this, whatever. The Decker really isn't into it. Doesn't really want to do it for whatever reason, either be it a professional or personal reason. It's not the player. It's not well, necessarily okay, okay. the player. It's just, but, but the player's like, there's no reason for us to do this. Why are we, why are we going in here and doing this when it's quite clear to me that we should be doing y instead of x mm-hmm. and the, the group consensus is we need to do it you're a professional do your freaking job and then they're so like, far so far where you're at in, in this this example this is a great story this is great role playing and story and tension and stuff right up to this point <laughs> right so then so then they go in and they just like they softball it they half-ass it they do whatever they do the bare minimum and all of a sudden the alarms start going off you know do you punish the group for that yeah you absolutely do right but you know, it's, it, you do it in a dramatic fashion. You don't right. just drop the hammer on them. You don't have mm. the Monty Python foot come down and kill them. <laughs> well, and I think, I think part of the thing that, that we might be getting a little hung up on, I think, is the word punish. Um, mm. I think while that makes sense, like, in a, in a casual way, like, to say, okay, you failed. Now I have to ha- do something that's going to, I think, more, it's, it's consistent consequences, I think, is what you have to do. Like, regardless, even if... Yeah, like you said, everybody, like the whole party except for one, agreed that this is the plan we're going to do. And even though that one person didn't agree, they still have a vital task to perform. And they try to perform it and end up failing. I still think that you have to have sufficient consequences. Uh, again, that would be that would feel consistent with the way the rest of your world and the rest of your campaign has been going. So yeah, I agree. I think that you, the key point that you made in that, though, is their character is not into it the player is so you have full consequences because that is the group making a story right they they go in the guy half they get into an argument you're not taking this seriously you need to do your job blah 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 great role play great story you go in they do the job he doesn't want to do it he's kind of complaining about the entire time they're telling him to shut up and get professional great story he half-asses it and blows the roll. Alarms go off. The world comes down on them. Great story. The story continues because, because everyone knows the player is cool and it's the character that's a dick. The aftermath is everybody in the party coming down on the character. Yep. There's that, 
you know, that scene, that aftermath scene, which is going to be great. Now, the only problem is when you have a character that doesn't grow or develop. You know, the, I'm not saying that a character has to, you know, oh, well, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to fly on the straight and narrow now because that's kind of boring. But there should be some movement of the needle, you know, later on. Because if the character just constantly shits on everything you do, God, nobody, nobody has fun with that. Nobody finds that interesting at all. And it's such a drag. I mean, I've played in games like that before where it, what, I'll tell you what happens is that you have an A group and a B group. You have the A group, which is everybody but that guy, and they're doing all this stuff. And then you have that guy, and he's off doing a totally different game. He might as well not even show up. Right. I actually simulated uh, that twice. Uh, well, I simulated it once, and then I actually ran something, a situation like that, in a couple of the actual plays that I've done. Um, the, the simulated one was in the beginning of uh, the AP of Dragon Variation. It's all about the, the botched job that leads kind of to everything. And the the one character the npc who is the decker is mad because the the person the the uh the rigger who is like like controlling everything is kind of you know he's he's the tactician and he's telling everybody what to do and this this uh junkie decker is like man fuck you and activates the door without uh bypassing the, the security protocols and just like i'm just gonna open up the door fuck them you know um <laughs> Uh, that's the whole you know Leroy Jenkins kind of thing. Uh, the other thing that, as an anecdote uh, uh, to kind of exemplify this, is in um, uh, Tower of the Ape, uh, we had done this whole thing where we were uh, they had this final boss battle. So it was a, it was two boss two bosses and like a shit ton of minions. And in the story, uh, Shannon's character, her whole motivation for the entire story was to find her father. She finds her father and is like, peace out. I don't need to do this final battle because <laughs> I don't have a dog in that race. Right. And she left with her dad and left the rest of them to fight two bosses and all of the minions. And that, and she was the tank. So, <laughs> You know, to do something like that. And it, it, at the time, everybody was like, are you freaking kidding me? But it made perfect sense for her character. She wasn't doing it to be mean or just to say, you know, I have uh, this. My, my MacGuffin is here and is in a wounded state. If I go and fight, I may never have a chance to save them. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the, you know, it's the whole Gwen Stacy paradox. You know, right. do I do this and be the hero or do I do this and save the person that, you know, be the hero that way? Um, and so I don't think it necessarily has to be that the, the player or the character is completely checked out. Maybe they have a different motivation. Yeah. Sure. And, and it's completely valid. Yeah, and it, it can also be turned on the, the group too, because if like the players are looking at it, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're abandoning us. Like, why is your character abandoning us? It can easily be turned around. It's like, why are your characters abandoning me in my time of need? I thought we were friends. This person's important to me and we're, they're dying. Are we just going to let them, are we just hanging them out to dry? So it, it creates an interesting, it creates an interesting story. I, I run into problems though, 
like what you know with what Gage was saying too. My kryptonite is when players don't care. I don't know what to do with that other than to find out, you know, what what is your problem? Why don't you care about this? And it, it's yeah, I I have a hard time with that because because I think that a lot of games and a lot of stories are about the game master pressing buttons on the characters of the things they care about. And if they don't care, then why, what is the game, what tools did the game master have then? Make an interesting story and everybody just kind of gets on the plot train and see where it goes. That's not kind of, that's kind of not how I run things. So. Yeah. Um, so we're just about out of time. So how about we kind of go around and talk about uh, maybe an instance where, uh, or a game, what's, what, let's do the final question as, what game system uh, would you say has the best uh, mechanic for this? Be it uh, uh, dramatic challenges, skill challenges, chase scenes, things like that. Uh, I already mentioned mine. I think D&D 4th Edition handles it perfectly so well that I cut that out of 4th Edition and put it right into 5th Edition. The fact that it requires every player to participate uh, as equally as possible and that it forces you to use each skill only once um, I think is is genius and it has uh, done a lot uh, a lot more whereas you hit those scenes where it's like you guys have to get through this tough area and then you have one character who has great stealth or great survival and then they kind of trivialize the whole thing this forces everybody to participate um, yeah I love skill challenges from fourth edition uh, basically any system that has a limited amount of resources uh, or an in-game economy that the game master can can control because it puts another tool for the game master. I mean, tension is just a bunch of valves that you're opening up and shutting off and opening up and shutting off. And any system that gives you another tool that you can use for that is great. Fate is really good for that. Uh, Wilderness of Mirrors is another one, kind of a one-shot thing is good for that. Uh, I like Blades in the Dark a lot uh, because that your characters don't have hit points. They can't die. And it's all about spending resources. You have a limited amount of resources. Your character can do amazingly cool stuff to a point. And then he can't. <laughs> and so you have to like really marshal those forces and then it, it makes it tense. Um, Gage keeps hounding about Savage Wolf. Savage Wolf does have... No, no, he doesn't. Uh, Come yeah, on, Eric. Uh, you need to look at the, the chat because I think it's every third uh, thing <laughs> it is, just says Savage Wolf. But Savage Worlds does have a great chase mechanic because it uses cards. Uh, you, you roll your mm, skill. Yeah. And then I'm only sp I don't speak for uh, the newest edition. I can, I can only speak for the previous edition where you use cards. Uh, you roll your skill check. That determines how many cards you get. And then you can uh, you can kind of go from there. Um, when it comes to dramatic tasks, uh, dramatic uh, tension and things like that, um, Chad, you were talking about the, the game where you have uh, Blades in the Dark, um, where, you know, you kind of, you have these resources until you don't. Uh, I found that uh, the newest edition of 7th C does that really, really well. Hmm. Because you're rolling your pool of dice mm -hmm. and then you're just it, it kind of reminds me of cribbage where it's like you know 52 54 you're, <laughs> you're like uh like amassing this dice pool you roll it and then you're trying to look for your target number and then every you know 
combination of these dice determines success. And so you have a pool of successes that you're sitting on and you're mm-hmm. rolling them out. And you can do, you're like, if you want to jump from, you know, the, the balcony onto the chandelier and swing across, it's X number of successes. Pay that out of your pool. And you just do that until you get to the point where it's like, that's also your defense. So you can do all kinds of really cool stuff, land right in front of the big boss with nothing in the tank, and he just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a really cool system for, for that level of tension because you really do start to see this diminishing pool as this... Uh, it's, it's like a... You know, it's like a... Um, uh, you know, like a uh, hourglass. You know, the sand right. is running out of the hourglass. Um, in doing research for this, uh, this episode... Um, I was really curious as to what, uh, what is widely considered like the best chase rules in RPGs. And by a wide margin, the old 1980s James Bond 007 game came up hmm. a lot. And <laughs> I, I don't want to bore you guys with the, all the mechanics, but essentially it's a bidding system uh, between the, the, the characters and the game master. And if you're, let's say you're doing it in a vehicle, let's say you're, you know, your, your Lotus has a, uh, what they call like a red line and anything below that red line in, in as you bid, um, starts implementing like automatic complications. So mm-hmm. a, a, as soon as you start approaching this, this line in the sand, you're like, Hmm, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. And it really does build that up to, and then you have to resolve these things. Um, so yeah, that is widely considered one of the best uh, chase mechanics in RPGs. Uh, I can't say that I've ever played it. I read enough about it just you know, recently. It was like, what the, I, <laughs> you think, what, what is this game all about? Right. Uh, you know, it's 007, but uh, I, I am very curious as to to uh, check it out. Uh, Jenna Sasquatch in the chat says, uh, you know, says that's a great chase system. So obviously, someone in our chat and watching this uh, has actually uh, played that game. So I'm curious to uh, maybe dig into that a little bit more. All right, so um, we have reached our time limit. So starting with uh, with Chad, uh, let's talk about how people can uh, find you. Uh, you can find me at feartheboot.com. Or morningsky.com, S-K-Y-E. Okay. Uh, you can find me at nicholascorey.com, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y.com. Also, um, I am streaming our online tabletop role-playing game, which is a system that I'm currently working on, totally homebrew system, and you can find that at twitch.tv slash nscorey. That's every other Sunday uh, from 7 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. So not the Sundays that I'm on Big 20, the other Sundays. <laughs> All right. And, uh, yeah, and I'm Eric. You can find me at gamerstable.com, uh, on our Discord, um, on Twitter. Uh, we're all over the place. I'm also, uh, restingglitchface.com. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Chad and Nick, for joining me this episode. Thanks uh, for having us. And thank you to Gage, uh, seized initiative. That's, I think uh, that doesn't happen very often. So let's make that more of a thing uh, where you pay the points to, uh, to jump ahead in line. Uh, and then of course, uh, uh, Sasquatch, he, he, he brought up Conan, which I was so tempted to, uh, to uh, just halt the whole show and just talk about that. <laughs> but you know, we can, uh, uh, I do digress. So uh, remember we're every Sunday, 9 p.m. Central, on twitch.tv gamers table.